Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast, our last World Tour recap of the year. We've got the Paris Tour highlight video tomorrow. Here with Benji, as always, for the recap of Il Lombardia. 2021. As always, this show is supported by LeCol, who produce performance cycling apparel. If you want to check out some change of season winter kit, you can check that out. www.lecol.cc, produced at the base of Monte Grappa, not near Lombardy, where we'll be talking about the race today. But yeah, thanks to LeCol for supporting the podcast since its inception last year. Different route this year. We went over it in the preview 240Ks. 4,600 meters of climbing. The main part of the race, the second, oh, the last third of it, Dosena climb, 11Ks at 6%, goes into a rolling ridge line. Then the Zambla Alta, 2.6Ks at 7%, technical descent. Then they do the Paso de Ganda, the last long climb. Last 3Ks at 9%, 8.5%, but it's not as steep before then. It's like 11Ks, I think, as well, or 10Ks. Just technical descent again, lots of hairpins, false flight downhill. Colle Aperto is about 4Ks, 5Ks from the finish, 1.3Ks at 7% for a, mm, it looks like false slide downhill to me, finish in Bergamo where they'd have a sprint. If it was a group, we had Roglic, Pagacha, Adam Yates, De Koenig, Quickstep stacked with Evenepoel, Alaphilippe and Almeida. And it was Israel's startup nation, Benji, who took it upon themselves to send the most riders forward to pace the early break. Yes, certainly. They were uh, doing so with Chris Froome at the start as well. And uh, that was, I guess, for Woods as their leader. Dan Martin seemed to be working for Woods today. So I'm guessing that that was uh, the plan they had set out for themselves early on. And I was kind of surprised to see Froome in this race because it's a bit odd to use him as a rider to pace in Lombardia while you've got the uh, UK championships, the Great Britain championships. Sorry, that's the difference. Um, coming up that he has to opt opt out of because of this uh, selection. Nonetheless, that breakaway did not exceed uh, too much of a gap. We had uh, Campanarts in there with the likes of Bacalons. We also had Wellens, Garosio, Gebregs, Abir. But in all honesty, all these riders like, you know that this break isn't going to make it today because there's enough teams in the peloton that don't have anybody in that front group that are the teams that have the favorites of this race that are not in that group. So you know that. Yumba will kick in and that the Koenig will kick in and that seemed to be happening on the first two climbs of the day. We had some crashes in the peloton, mostly Ajazer riders though, Cosnefua and Haninen. They both had to abandon because of their crash and um, yeah, both seemed like they were a bit concussed and dizzy and so forth. So happy that the doctor told the guy with the bike for Haninen that he uh, should not be getting on the bike anymore and pulled him towards the uh, medical car. So that's a good part of that. But uh, yeah, Seti was working quite a bit on the climbs, the earlier climbs, but I felt like Yumbo was taking over every single time that it actually started the climbing, and Balmon was a factor in that quite a lot in the early part of this race on the Roncola climb, or Benno climb. He was very, very active, and it wasn't going to be until like uh, Dido Senna climb where we actually saw some action happening. We saw a move by Dunbar near the bottom of that climb, but Jolie following already. So you're starting to notice that you're going to see satellite riders pop up. 
Dunbar for Adam Yates. You have Bajoli for whoever was going to end up as the leader of the Koenig in this race. And that was not the only attack. Reisweik was done. Uh, was then the next rider to uh, close that down, and UAE riders. So you've got literally every team of the favorites of this race trying to get ahead with riders that are not their leaders. That group got caught once other riders decided to attack again. Then we saw a move by Ben Tullet on the uh, left side of the road. Strong rider. You're going to hear a lot from him in the future moving to Ineos, right? Is it true? Yes, he's going to Ineos. Okay, he was moving together with Sivakov, so his future teammate. Maznada in that break already, so Maznada doing some work very early on as well on his Docena to uh, get into moves and be a satellite rider today. George Bennett also in that move, although he seemed to be having a bit of trouble following this move. He was hanging on by a shred at the uh, last spot of this four-man group, but attacks followed again. Paulus, Storer, and eventually that was all closed down. Next attack, Gagan Hard, again a satellite rider, but... David Ann said no and was like, I'm going to keep on pacing. This is just, everybody just keeps on attacking and I don't want that. I want this to be a bit of a, a normal tempo. Come on, people. And he started hammering it a bit at the front without going too fast. He kept getting hard like 10 meters ahead of him, but he kept a, a good tempo up. And it was another attack that followed. Likes of a Sivakov, we had Hirschi, Maznada, and Vingegaard and Bardet in that move. And Simon Yates was dropping at the start uh, of that attack. So... Very notable that Simon Yates, once again, seemed to be a bit out of form, looking at how he was beaten at the Crow Race last week. Then again, not the most mountainous sparkle, but still beaten by Stephen Williams, like we mentioned in the preview. But um, yeah, all, all these early attacks, you think that it's logical for a Vingegaard to respond to a Sivakov so early on in this race, or a Maznada to have already responded twice in this race? Or did you not see Maznada as a, as a rider that was going to be in the last few uh, riders today? Well, no, I didn't, and I'm not sure many other people did, to be honest. But Jonas, I was surprised <laughs> by. Like Jonas, I'm like, you're almost you'd be a co-leader on a lot of other teams. I was surprised to see him used in that way. When maybe if they're wanting a group to get to the finish with Roglic for the sprint, you'd need another teammate. If you don't have another teammate and you're the strongest sprinter in a group, you have problems. So I was surprised they used Jonas in that way, and they they had to lean on him heavily later. Uh, although De Koenig also did the same with Maznada. So, yeah, that was surprising to me, and I guess that's just – then it's not been the same, Benji, this year. Uh, he's obviously off to UAE next year, but I didn't really like the signing too much. Um, I think they signed him based on what happened in 2020. Same happened with Bora and Hindley. But anyway, their team wasn't that strong. But no, no team – De Koenig were the strongest team overall. Even though – In the descent that followed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What do you see on that descent? Well, we saw that Bajoli, the rider that had attacked already, moved to the front of the group. There was another rider in second position. It could have been Masnada. I honestly don't know at this point because uh, we were watching from the stratosphere with this helicopter. Like We barely could see anyone or recognize anyone, only that three de Koenig cries were at the front hammering it because that's what the motorbike camera at the front was showing. And Alaphilippe was sitting in third wheel. So my thoughts were, okay, Alaphilippe is going to be... a uh, having a bit of pushing going on because, well, on the last part of the Zamba Alta that just came before the descent, they were moving forward already. So something was about to happen now with Alaphilippe moving with these two riders in the descent. And the fact that on the climb before, Evenepoel was out positioned every single corner. He was moving back after every corner. On the long stretch, he was trying to move up a tiny bit, but it seemed like something was off. Positioning or form, I didn't know yet at the time. And I guess we're going to find out on the next climb, shall we? 
because uh, that descent did split it up quite a bit. There was a group of five gone for a second. Bardet, being in one of the uh, riders, as always, that is great in the descents. But that group was caught again. Roglic and Jumbo came back just uh, at the bottom of the descent because they were on a gap during the descent. And then uh, let's talk about a small thing after the uh, uh, race recap motorbikes because i do have an opinion on that but it's best to continue onwards with the race recap first but then uh the last climb was about to happen the paso di ganda and they arrived at that bottom with pretty much everybody and the koenig was once again the ones that were putting it up there were setting it at the front and i don't know it felt like once again i was looking for evenepoel and he wasn't in the top 20 positions and i was like okay either it's complete dog shit positioning like van de poel at the Poggio, or he's not in good form today. And one of the next screens we saw was Evenepoel dropping. So, uh, surprise for you or not? It is a surprise. I think mainly because of the composition of that group, how big it was, and I guess how the race for him up to that point wasn't full gas, at least from what we could see. You know, it's a large group, and if you ask who's a better climber, yeah, like I think if he convert, he just whatever it was, couldn't convert the what he produced at World Chance, which is obviously a one-off 40- or 50-minute effort, or a driven course, which is yeah, not a great race, but still the what's from there did not seem to be here today. So, yeah, I don't know what it was. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess underperformed relative to probably his own expect, definitely to his own expectations today. And also Almeida, Benji. Almeida in trouble. Like He's dropping before yeah. Igita. It's really surprising to me. I mean... Uh, has he been over-raced? Yeah. I'm not sure. He or she as well? I mean, or was he or she, I guess he'd already spent a bit as a domestique? Yeah, but the likes of Masnada had also attacked like three times and he was still there. And it seemed like Almeida was shouting at Alaphilippe and Masnada, guys, come on, come on, I can't follow, guys. I can't follow. Please pass me and, uh, and close down the gaps that are opening up because we did see some moves following up just after that. The likes of Vincenzo Nibali, the shark himself, biting. I was not expecting him to get over this climb with the best and... Uh, well, that might become clear in a second, but the attack was quite fierce and uh, always fun to see. I am a big fan of Nibali. Most of you will know that at this point. And I love him every time I see him in a race because he's a very offensive rider, as in attacking on the bike. And that aspect is fun, but it's not always the wisest decision. Like in this situation, you're questioning, is it clever for a rider like Vincenzo Nibali to, to be making the first attacking move knowing that he has not been able to follow the likes of Pogacar and Roglic on previous two years. <laughs> like, even more, perhaps, at this point. So, I don't know. It's I think it's a, an all-or-nothing try, and it was an all-or-nothing try because Micah closed it, and he tried again, and then we saw a move by Pogacar. And what did you see in that move of Pogacar? Well, I was just completely surprised. I'm not surprised Pogacar went early. That's the way he likes to race. He likes to set his own steady tempo on the climb. We saw it at the Olympics, and but everyone caught back up to him there. And he knew he had to drop the wealth and arts of the world. And here we have Alaphilippe Roglic behind. It's better to go clear. I am just so surprised that we're not right at the crest of this climb. It wasn't like the, his biggest attack ever. No one followed him or trying to snap onto his wheel. And I guess if someone goes, bridges across or follows his attack, sits on his wheel, gets dropped, then I got no problem with it. Pogash is just too strong. But to sort of allow him a five-second gap and then allow him to build that out whilst you're using domestiques to chase behind, which was, is it Masnada chasing, pacing against Pogacar on the climb? 
um, yep. then, yeah, you're just allowing him to open up that gap. I guess Roglic was already struggling. Vingegaard seemed to be struggling at the back of the group. But Adam Yates is the one, yeah, who seemed to miss miss that move. And, okay, yeah, Pogaccia, he wasn't the favorite for this race. He somehow always flies under the radar, which is just even for our preview because um, we put a lot, I guess, put too much stock in the Italian tune-up races but still, once he does attack and have the legs to do that, you have to follow him. Like, it's just uh, no questions asked. And no one did, really. It's just then relying on domestiques to pace. I think Quickstep, yeah, Quickstep had run out of guys to follow him and, and he was building out that advantage. It looked very similar to when he attacked, when he paced on uh, the Grand Bonon stage and then dropped Carapaz. And similar numbers, too, on Rom to today, I think, for this climb to about 6.4, 6.5 on Gander for 23 uh, minutes, 10 seconds for Pagacha. But group behind, even Yates Benji had to pull at the top. He was pulling. The gap was about, it went up to 38 seconds. When the Yates pull went down to 28 seconds, we get to a ridge uh, just at the crest. There's like a little ridge line before Celavino, before they actually do the descent proper. And Quickstep attack with Masnada, or Masnada attacks, I don't know if it was the plan, and then he's bridging across to Pagasha on the descent. The gap goes out in the group. This is the Petler favourites group with Alphilippe, Roglic and co. Adam Yates to 43 seconds, 45 seconds. Is that the right play for Masnada to not pace that group and to attack and follow Pagasha? Because he would have been the man to pace because no other team at that point had two riders in that group. I think this could be the endless discussion for this race because you can look at it in the way of while well, Alaphilippe is in the group, if Masnada keeps on pacing and does what he did just after that, which is closing down the gap to Pogacar slowly but surely towards Pogacar and actually ends up cashing him in that descent. Well, if he does that just ahead of Alaphilippe and Alaphilippe follows his wheel, then you've got Alaphilippe to sprint against Pogacar with Rolachil in the group. You likely have a very stressful moment on the flat section after the descent because every single person in that group might try and attack on the flat section afterwards if it all has come together at that point and then you have to question well is Alaphilippe going to uh out sprint the rest Roglic in the group yeah he was struggling on the climb but so was Alaphilippe Pogacar yeah he uh well he's had a solo effort for quite a while I don't know if I would trust Alaphilippe enough with how he was looking on the climb in the sprint against Pogacar and Roglic, personally. And as a consequence, I feel like the decision to send Masnada up the road was almost just as risky, which means that they chose just a situation of the two, and I don't necessarily know if one was better or the other, personally. So, uh, yeah, Masnada was uh, on his own closing that down. Do you have a different opinion on that, or what? I'm, I'm strongly in let Masnada chase camp. Uh, because it creates a situation where Alaphilippe gets to sit in the group behind. He is then, when Masnada, if he catches Pagacha, Pagacha might, uh, you know, this didn't happen, but he might not like a rider from Taconic sitting on. Masnada should sit on. If the group comes back from behind, Alaphilippe would probably be the favourite in the in the sprint. We also don't know, like Pagacha, you know, his form hasn't been great. Like hasn't been true God mode Pagacha form in the run-in. Maybe he's overextended himself. Masnada's on his best day. Maybe he can try and attack him and Pagacha doesn't respond. He's not winning the sprint, that's for sure, but it creates different options. Whereas if you have Masnada pace the group behind, all that happens is you might catch Pagacha, Masnada will be spent, 
and then Alphalipe will get attacked by Woods, Bardet, <laughs> go to Valverde and have to respond to them. So I'm, I think it improves the chances of to kind of quick step winning, uh, but it's still Pagacha just you just don't want to let him up the road with that sort of advantage. On the descent, though, I saw Pagacha descending. He nearly crashed once and then he grabbed a bit of break in another corner and then he was losing a lot of time on the descent. I know on the left-hand turns, he didn't put his left foot at uh, 12 o'clock. He kept it at uh, 3 o'clock. It was very, very weird the way he was taking the left-hand turns. When the right-hand turns, he was putting his knee, getting his right foot to 12 o'clock. He's losing a lot of time to Masnada on the descent and, yeah, he nearly crashed in that fashion on that descent. And Masnada also, like, wasn't – like it wasn't neebly god mode descent either, but very aggressive out of the corners. And it was Jonas pacing behind. So Jonas catched up to the group, the Rollish group, and he's pacing and we saw him on too, like he's 58 kegs. And yeah, he he didn't gain any time to Pagacha either. So did you think Benji Masnada, he, he eventually does catch up to Pagacha at the right at the bottom of the descent. He's closed 28 seconds himself. And then he pulls. Could you believe it when Masnada pulled with Pagacha when he caught him? Well, not directly. I was trying to like still think about, okay, was it going to be clever to pull right here or not? And the first thing that comes to mind is no, because Pogacar on paper is the fastest sprinter. So you got to try and do what Remco didn't do at European Championships, which is sitting on the wheel of uh, the better sprinter in the group, which is in this situation, quite simply Pogacar. And you have Alaphilippe behind. So best case scenario, you're saving your energy and you can say to Pogacar, well, sorry, sorry, buddy. I, uh, my team is telling me that I can't pace because Alaphilippe is behind. And Pogacar, if he's clever, he's going to realize, well, okay, yeah, that's kind of logical. <laughs> so either I choose to ride myself to uh, in oblivion or I choose to sit up as well. And that is exactly what happened just after that because the car was getting next to uh, Masnada. He was already complaining to like his earpiece for a second there. And the car went next to him and it was pretty clear that Bramati, I think, because it seems like the finger pointing was Bramati, the typical Bramati finger pointing, was telling him <laughs> not to pace. Um, and yeah, he was sitting up by then and Pogacar tried one more time with his elbow and Masnada was like, nope, this is not happening anymore. But he had already like paced for a good, I don't know, two kilometers, something like that, or three kilometers. Was it more or less? He's uh, a couple of Ks. Now, I'm not sure if he's doing soft pulls. I think Masnada has a lot of confidence in himself. Now, he's like not no. the biggest name rider, but he he believes he, he's a top rider and on days he can be as well. And I think he's like, I can I can take Pog, which I, you know, I actually respect. Like to be someone, you actually have to believe you can beat them. Um, and otherwise, if he, if he doesn't think he can beat them, then what's the point of the kind of quick step move? What we then see behind is Jonas. They get into the valley. They've let Jonas pace the descent. 48 second gap and they begin working really well together Alaphilippe does I think the um the chivalrous thing and he sits at the back but he doesn't disrupt the chase he pushes everyone through and he tells them explicitly I'm not going to chase with Masnada ahead but I'm not going to fuck up your chase either uh which you know fair play to him for doing that and sits at the back and you have a pace line rolling with Woods, Godu, Yates, Roglic, Vingegaard and Valverde and it's working really well for quite a while actually they're chopping off they're bringing the gap down to, I think, 30 seconds, maybe even 27 seconds, 26 seconds. We still have 15Ks of false starts to go, and then that 1,700-meter pimple uh, through the town, and then suddenly someone skips a turn. Now, I don't know if it was Bardet or Valverde. Bardet. Someone skips a turn, and it all absolutely turns to shit. And I get it. If it's just false flight downhill to the finish, 
and it's just going to be a sprint from that group, okay, I get it. Maybe you don't want to pull. But we have a, a 1,300, 1,500 meter 7% climb. You have an opportunity to try and bridge across to try and attack there if you're a Bade, Godu, or Mike Woods or Yates with a bit of punch. It's so to, to stop the chase before that climb when you're eating into it and then because you want to get to that little pimple and have only a eight second gap, 10 second gap pervy, you can try and bridge it. And, and they, but they didn't even get to that point. They stopped pacing before they have a real. I mean, I said after Patrick Conrad won uh, the stage in the tour, I said in my Discord when he went 70K solo and I was like, oh, he's going a bit early here. I said after that stage, I said, I'm the idiot because I think, I believe that there would be rational decision-making in a group, in a chase group, and often it's just better to get out in front of the race and the guys chasing behind, they just, they just don't work together well. We've seen it so often this year. Let's be real. Every chasing group that has Alejandro Valverde in it in a one-day race, especially Lombardia, loses the race. It's the rule number 17 of cycling. <laughs> it is destined to be the case. So the second I saw Valverde sitting in that group, I knew that group was not catching the front of the race. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Bergamo Alta coming up. You've got Pogacar, who's been doing most of the work in the latter part of the flat section. You have Masnada sitting there as well. Like They've got 45 seconds again. After the time went down a tiny bit after that cooperation, but it's going up again. And in all honesty, I was thinking, okay, hopefully for Masnada, Bogatra has done a lot of energy spendage on this last few meters of the uh, flat part because uh, it's unlikely that I'll drop him on the climb, but it's the only situation in which I can win because it ain't going to happen in the sprint, you know? So we were destined to see something happening on the climb, right? It was not a move. Yeah, we, exactly. So P- Pagatra's just like, I'm going to put you behind me because literally the crowd is like single file. <laughs> you can't attack over from behind. So Pagatra just did his pace on the climb and then it opened up a little bit. And yeah, Masnada tried to hit him with it. And uh, he got a bit of a gap, but then we saw Pagatra closed it in the saddle. And I was like, you're fucked, Fausto. Like, <laughs> he closed it in the saddle. That's <laughs> like, a t-shirt. <laughs> not, even, <laughs> not even stressing. And I think Benji mentioned this maybe on Twitter. And we, we skipped over a bit. Other riders, when other when someone sits on them, it can it can wig them out mentally. It can they start they then sit up they then lose sight of the actual race situation. They have a tantrum. Masnada stops pulling, which wasn't even his decision, and he was sort of laying off Pagacha for like five meters, almost not happy with it. But anyway, Masnada stops pulling. Pagacha says, "I get it. You're athlete behind. That makes sense." And just rides, just rides on the front. He just doesn't let it stress it out, stress him out. You know, he was going to be solo anyway. So what's the matter? Just backs and he's like, I got a faster sprint than Masnada. As long as I get over the climb, I'm G. And I think some riders will almost sit up themselves or, yeah, let it affect yep. them, which is a bit weird. But yeah, getting, going to the final, Pagacha with poor old Masnada into this final sprint. The gap's gone out to a minute or something because the group behind has just been attacking each other. I think a group with Alaphilippe, Valverde, Woods, Bardet has gone clear because they've attacked on that short climb. Bagaccia leads out, well, not an actual lead out, but he's riding in front of Masnada and he waits so late because he knows. Like The only way you lose a sprint from the front if you have a significant sprint advantage is if you give them a lead out is if you go too early and you start sprinting with 250 meters to go from 40 k's an hour and give them a full lead out in the draft. If you sprint from from 90 meters, it almost looked like 90 meters or 100 meters, it, with the discrepancy so large, you know, you can – he basically snaps, gaps him a bit off the wheel, done. 
Posts up, Masnada can't win. Pog takes his second monument of the year, plus Tour de France victory, 11 wins this year, mostly at World Tour, maybe exclusively at World Tour level. Outrageous win from him in uh, Lombardia. And, uh, yeah, Masnada takes a really important second who's out of contract next year, but maybe he's already agreed to deal with De Koenig. I'd be surprised if they let him go um, because they haven't announced a lot of their deals yet. I think he won a Slovenia stage. Truly won a Slovenia stage. I think uh, Pogi won a Slovenia stage. Bagatcha yeah. only wins non-important races when they have a commercial significance, i.e. UAE Tour or Slovenia. <laughs> Legit. <laughs> the race he wins. But yeah, for the group behind, <laughs> what do you see what do you see from the group behind, Benji? Going for third place, Rogla from the back like Moric at LBL, giving Adam Yates the lead out. Yeah, basically went really early, Rogla, and it felt like Alaphilippe was very surprised when he saw that move on the right side of the road. Tried to move up once he saw Roglic pass by with uh, Adam Yates with him, and I thought Roglic was taking his third spot, yeah, like, easy peasy, but Adam Yates came over him and beat him for third. Like, I didn't expect that at all. Not even close. Yeah, I know. And also Valverde was at the front of the group and then he tried to close down Roglic leading out and then sabotaged everyone behind him because he left a huge gap and then Alaphilippe couldn't sprint for third. So De Koenig didn't get the result they wanted. I think I think they made the best of it given that the race was going away from them with no one marking Pagacha. And for someone like Alaphilippe marking Pagacha, that's not something I expect of him. I think Alaphilippe, I want to I give... Uh, a handwritten verbal apology to Julian Alaphilippe. Someone called us out on it in the preview. LRCP consistently underrating Alaphilippe. Name a better duo. You're right. Um, I underrated him today. And I mainly not because I think he couldn't. He's not physiologically capable. I just thought he would have been, uh, you know, having a good time after world championships, to be, to be honest. <laughs> I think that was why. But we saw at Provence, he can do a very high climbing level on Mont Ventoux de Chalet Renard when he's, when he's locked in. And I think... Do you think the race played out suiting Alaphilippe, Benji? This wasn't, I think, I was expecting Avonapol to go early and for this to be a, a big a big fight from like 80Ks to go. Yeah, I think so as well, but it didn't seem like Avonapol was, uh, was on the level necessary to do that today. And that's a bit unfortunate for the race because I think it would have been more entertaining if it started at 80K to go instead of like 40K to go. But in the end, I... Uh, won't be complaining after the race I saw. But I do want to note back on the Alaphilippe thing. I, I think I mentioned on Twitter the other day about whether I wasn't sure whether he was sandbagging at Torino or not because his dropping at Torino seemed like he was dropping at a moment where I was like, okay, it's like a kilometer into the climb, mate. This is weird. And I don't know. Do you think that riders are actively sandbagging in smaller races? Like, for example, an Alaphilippe in Torino but also a Pogacar in the likes of a Torino or in that first race, Emilia, for example, where Pogacar just was not visible at all. You think that sandbagging is a thing? I think, well, so Roglic has more race, no, sorry, Pogacar has more race days than Roglic. He's got 70 race days, Roglic 62. So I don't want to hear about 60, or maybe even Roglic has less than that. I think Roglic might have because he crashed out of the tour. Um, I don't want to hear that, oh, Roglic has had uh, 52 race days rather and Pogacar has... Uh, 60 race days, so I got the off by 10. Anyway, Pogaccio has eight more race days, but it seems that he's almost like invisible in some races. Like Britannia Classic, he came back, he gave it a good shot, but he was like, he got dropped by Alaphilippe and Honoré, right? And then DNF'd. Um, where's another race where, I mean, to be honest, he's been consistently good. <laughs> Strade, maybe I'd expect a little bit better, but yeah, <laughs> he, he was strong. He was UAE Tour, Terreno. The RTT in Slovenia? 
Yeah, IT <laughs> it was uh, the national champs <laughs> ITT. Yeah, exactly that one. He's not at full level there. Um, yeah, I just think Pogacar. I don't know. He's just better than Roglic. Benji's the answer. I think Roglic is <laughs> a little bit less consistent over 200, 200 Ks maybe, uh, like the Vuelta. But then it's like Kovadonga. Let me do the top 10. Let me do the top 10 first and then let's talk Roglic. Pagancha, okay. Masnada, 51 seconds to Yates, which is a good result for him. I think really, I think Yates is looking pretty good. Roglic fourth, Valverde fifth, Alaphilippe, Godu, Bade, Woods, Igita. And Quintana, and I'll mention Valter and Nibali just for Benji's sake. Uh, so similar to Liège, Roglic, Benji, now everyone's going to say, I oh, became fifth. How can you say it was an underperformance? The baseline for Roglic is what he can do in a top race. This is an underperformance. If you look at the Watts per kilo, he got dropped on or struggling on a climb when there's Bardet, Woods, and Co in the group, and he's doing at most 6.2 for 20 in the wheels. At most, maybe less draft-heavy climb, and you compare that to the Covadonga stage, he follows Bernal 6.5 for 20 on the climb where Bernal attacked. He ripped him off the wheel in the valley and then fucking destroyed him on Covadonga. Like, it's not the same. So my question to you, Benji, is is it just an off day? Is it something over 200Ks? Is it tactics? Is it positioning in the one-day races, which are more important? What do you think it is with Roglic or is it just variability? Because in Liège, two years in a row in Liège too, He's not been the strongest in compared to the other like top five favorites. Whew, good question. I think that mm, like we looked at Torino this week and we saw that Adam Yates came very close after bridging to the group in which Roglic was already in, spending 30 seconds of a gap, just totally closing that down and then almost beating Roglic in the end. Is that also an indicator then that he might not have been on the level that we expected him to be? But on paper, the watts per kilogram on uh, Superga were pretty damn decent. And for him to do a, what was it, 11 watts per kilogram for 80, uh, 48 seconds at the end, that's uh, still a pretty strong performance. So is today a weaker performance then than on that Superga climb? Or is that just yes. because that race is indeed shorter and less and easier having subse- subsequent climbs? Yeah. Well, there were echelons before, so it wasn't like it was a, a very easy race. I I don't know. It's it's hard for me to answer. I generally don't know uh, the response to that one. Yeah, I think it's just we mentioned Pagacha. Now let's talk about Pagacha. He's now won two monuments this year, both the hilliest ones and the Tour de France. He's best, been the best rider this year, uh, and he's, yeah, just incredible. But one UAE tour, one one Toronto Adriatico. But he, we mentioned in like a po- at the end of the preview, Benji. I was like, is he just like we mentioned? You mentioned sandbagging on, on Twitter. And I was like, oh, is he just peaking? You're like, but it's like two days between the races. We're like, yeah, Dauphiné tour. How can you change your form two days between? Maybe it's just a mental thing. Maybe he just doesn't take the tune-up races so seriously, and he's just finding his legs, and then he sees what can happen in the big ones. But I think. Uh, yeah, I just think Pagach is crazy in these races. The Olympics, he was probably the strong, he was the strongest on the climb as well. And I can't wait to see him next year. I think he'll be a favorite for pretty much. He always seems to be underrated as well. He has good value still on Pagach. He's not like, he's barely ever the favorite for these races, except maybe like Torreno or something. Why do you think that is? Uh, I think it's mainly because of uh, what happened in the last week for me personally when it comes to Pagach. Every single time that we saw him riding against Roglic, he ended up not being as strong this week. And 
I think the benefit today is that he went early on the climb and he didn't have everybody respond. Roglic did not have a great day today when it comes to his legs, he said afterwards in a in an interview. So perhaps it's just a one-off day, like that he was in bad form and we're just overanalyzing that aspect to Roglic's uh, year here. But I feel like Pogacar's real benefit is also that he just dares to go early. And there's a lot of riders that don't dare to go early and miss out on opportunities, end up in a chase group, and therefore don't end up winning races like uh, the one we have today. What if Elverde tries on the climb and is in a, a group with Pogacar, for example? Pogacar would probably drop him, but hey, uh, we're, we're thinking about scenarios here. So I think that aspect is a very valuable one to Pogacar. It's also the reason that I think Evenepoel wins a lot in these smaller races as well, where he dares to attack early and he dares to put everything on the table. And Pogacar has that exact same thing, but then in the bigger races where he already is a, a level higher than the competition in the majority uh, of the ones he starts riding. And in all honesty, we're like talking about Torino. He was, he was dog shit at Torino and so forth, but he was fourth. So it wasn't like the performance was too bad. He just came a bit too short to beat the likes of Roglic that day. But um, yeah, all this to make my point and ask you the question, well, what's the next uh, monument that he's doing? I, I tried to bribe him into riding Tour of Flanders last week, <laughs> and he ended up saying that it's unlikely that he's going to ride uh, Tour of Flanders next year. So uh, that's MSR. unfortunate. But what is the he next can one? M- he can win MS. He can win MSR. Yeah, he can win. He has the KOM on the Pajo. Yep, I saw. I'll be, I, I've been, I was staying attentive. I, I see Pagacha can win MSR. <laughs> Um, if he's in a group with Alif- if he's in a group like uh, when Sagan was with Kvyatkovsky and Alaphilippe or Alaphilippe with Van Aert, he can beat those guys in a sprint. Uh, he's capable. His sprint is so good. So yeah, MSR is the next one I think, and I look forward to seeing how he can go. And he or she and Co will and Formula they can they just got to shred the Poggio and, <laughs> and not have it like this year when it was a really big group. But obviously. Poggio Ewan could also come back to haunt haunt Pagacha. So maybe it'd be Ewan, Ewan and Pagacha. I'd love to see that. But um, we won't step on the off-season topics too much. Uh, last thing, Benji, the, the new route for Lombardia. Like it or not? I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I feel like uh, I want Lombardia to be the mountain classic and not necessarily the hill classic. And with Sevilla, it was already a, a climber's race, but you still had the opportunity of... Uh, Puncher still being able to hold on in some of the occasions. And I feel like on this parkour, that's outside of Alaphilippe, not really that easy. I uh, don't think you'll easily see Van Aert or Van der Poel getting over these climbs too easy. Well, to be honest, uh, I'm not sure if I can say that because uh, if Van Aert rides like in the... 100%. Yeah, I I think if Cobrelli's here today, he can... I don't know, like... Pogacar is still a different rider to follow than having a pull on a small climb. No, in I'm European not following him. I mean in the Jala group. I mean, he, might, he might come back to the Jala group <laughs> with Jonas. <laughs> well, you never know at this point. He's a climby boy. <laughs> no, yeah, he knew everything. I don't know. I think the last 30Ks, yes, it's interesting for us to talk about chase tactics to Koenig's move. Just finish it on the climb. Like what changed? Really, like the strongest on the climb was Pog, and Pog won. Like we just had an extra thirty. I disagree. Really, I think if you cha- I think if you have one climb as the finishing climb, you're less likely to have early moves. Or does that not make sense in your opinion? Or is it more likely because they don't have enough kilometers to chase you down anymore? I don't know. I just. 
the problem is this will never happen. But they could market it as because Lomb- today is just like Liège with like twenty minute climbs. Frankly, like it's still Pogacar mm-hmm. following Formolo or and Woods, same guys on the last climb, and then we have a descent and a group and finish, and you know away they go. But I think if you market it as a mountaintop finish, I stole this uh, from a Discord as well. This idea that market it as the only monument with mm-hmm. a mountaintop yep. finish, and and you can maybe see some crazy watts per kilo, and but yeah. I still like that. I like a reduced. It's good to see two guys going a head-to-head sprint, and it will never happen. What I just suggested because you need Bergamo to pay the money, the town pays the money. You know, there's the top yeah, of the mountain. Certainly. Like it's just commercially never going to happen. What I suggested, uh, but yeah, I think. But it's going to switch around next year again, right? Is it? I recall it going uh, like one year this direction and the other year that direction, and then changing it around again every single time. Yeah. I think this year suffered a little bit from Roubaix being so close. I think it, everyone was very hard to spend a lot of energy with Roubaix, and I think you know you can spend more time, uh, I guess, journalists and co hyping it up next year. So look forward to Lombardia next year. Pog is a god, and uh, that's all from us. I think we'll have uh, we'll follow us on Twitter at Lantern Rouge CP. Q and A is the next one. Is it okay in a few Engine's days? Most it. likely, probably. Uh, I don't know what date it's going to be. So, but I'm guessing it's gonna be in the next. Seven to ten days. Okay, Maximum, we might do it right? on Monday or Tuesday because I got to go to Paris for the Tour de France route reveal on Wednesday. Um, but yeah, nice. follow us at Lantern Rouge CP for updates on stuff like that, or the community tab uh, on the YouTube channel for the podcast. But thanks as always for listening. We've enjoyed this season very much. We'll have a lot more questions and I guess off-topic stuff for the Q and A, and we'll see you then. Thanks to Lacole, of course, for supporting the podcast. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 